Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of 1 Corinthians. We invite you to join us at 514 Smithfield Avenue in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented to you by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. We're going to start there. We're going to, um, start in verse 22. This is, uh, Jeremiah lamenting after Israel get judged and he was just remembered what an awful time it was in his life. And if you ever understand that depression and oppression is part of life, that God uses us to draw us closer to him, you won't be so weary and give up knowing that he has doing it for a purpose and try to get out of it. He's trying to get us through it. Amen. Amen. And when we think of him, we can get through, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, right? Amen. We don't need the world's ways of handling these things. We need the word's way. And saying there's a reason why I'm like this. God is going to get me through it if I just put my trust in him. Amen? Amen. Not the way the world solves these problems. Now look what it says in verse 20. He says something very profound here. He says, I will never forget this awful time he saw as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Amen? Oh, what an awesome scripture that is. I say to myself, let's keep reading. The Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who depend on Him. To those who search for Him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Amen? Oh, He delivers us. There's all kinds of salvation in the Bible. It could be a problem He's going to deliver you from that you're having right now. If we trust in Him, He'll get us through it. He doesn't want us to revert back to the world's ways of handling these issues. He wants us to wait on Him and hope in Him and trust in Him. Trust and obey. There's no better way than to be happy in Jesus, than to trust and obey. Amen? Amen. So we're learning these things as we grow in God's grace and knowledge. And His tender mercies begin afresh every morning. No matter what happened yesterday, and all the depressing things you might see going on in the world, we still dare to have hope. That heaven is our home, guaranteed, and this is not our permanent home. Amen? He's going to bring us to a better place. And the Bible tells us that. And that's why we need to stay rooted and grounded in the Word and believe what the Word says and actually apply what it says and don't go back to the world to get relief, to go to the Word for your relief. Amen? Amen. It's, it's not good to teeter-totter back and forth with the Word in the world because you come out deformed because you're unsure. You're always unstable in everything you do because you're still depending on the world 
and you're depending on the word. And he's saying, no, the world has to go. The word has to become your, your new life. Amen. What the word says is what I say. Amen. So that's why we study the word and apply it to our lives. And it says his tender mercies begin afresh every morning, no matter what happened yesterday. The, Paul said in, in Philippians, I look forward to this one thing, forgetting the past and look forward to what lies ahead. I look toward the heavenly prize in Christ Jesus. Amen? Forget about yesterday. It's gone. You can't do nothing about it. All we could do is learn from it and move on. Amen? Amen. And God's going to get us through. All right, let us go to um, 1 Corinthians chapter... Remember, anybody remember where we left off? I'm sure some of the women do. We're going to talk about this. We, start, we, we ended in verse 34, but we're going to back up just a little bit. Um, yeah, chapter 14. We already talked about, we were talking about the tongues and all these things, and we already went over that. We're not going to get back into it again. If you want, you can go back and listen to it again or do some research on your own. But everybody has different interpretations of that, and, I, you know, I'm not going to have an opinion on it at the pulpit. Amen? What the Bible says what it says about it. Amen? Amen. We'll leave it there. Amen. Nevertheless, people that do speak of whatever they do in different things, are still our brothers and sisters, and we should just love them. Amen? Amen. It's not a condition for our salvation. Believing on the Lord Jesus is what makes us unity. Okay? It gives us unity. All the other side issues are just preferences, and we shouldn't split about them. Live and let live. The Holy Spirit will guide and comfort people and confront people. Amen? You'll, you'll keep great friendships that way and restore relationships if you just let God do the work in them. Amen? And let Him mold and shape them into His image, not yours. And you'll be better off. Amen? Or which way you think they should be. Only God knows. Amen? Okay. Now let's go. Look what it says in verse 33. He's talking about an, having order in the church. The Corinthians were like, going crazy in there. They were just jumping out of line, doing whatever they wanted to do, and they were taking everything. And people take these scriptures out of context. I'm going to try to explain them so we understand them better, okay? All right, look what it says. Verse 33. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. So we come here, we come here to have peace, okay? We come here to regain peace. You go out in the world, there is no peace out there. When we come into the church, we should get peaceful. And what? Leave our cares and worries behind and get in tune with the Spirit of God. Amen? And get a reprieve from all that instead of bringing that into here and causing all kind of turmoil. Amen? All right, now it says, now they're saying something here. We're going to get into this. All right. Women should be silent during the church meetings. Here we go. This is taken out of context big time. And we're going to talk about that tonight. I'm going to reassure you that women are very important in the church. As a matter of fact, if the women were in, at this church were in here, we'd be all done. Believe me, we need women in the church. And they, listen, they're saying not in church meetings. I'm going to see why there was a certain thing going on in Corinth, why he had to say that, okay? Believe me. Women were all around him, and we're going to get into this. Let's just read through it a little bit, and then we're going to touch on it, okay? Just stay with me now. 
Okay, it says, should be silent during the church meeting. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. Or do you think God's word originated with you Corinthians? Are you the only ones to whom it was given? See, I was talking specifically to the Corinthians now in their way of life, okay? was given. They were very, they were very prideful and arrogant. If you claim to be a prophet or think you are spiritual, you should recognize that what I am saying is a command from the Lord himself. But if you do not recognize this, you yourself will not be recognized. So he says in verse 39, so my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy or, and don't forbid speaking in tongues, but be sure that everything is done properly and in order. So he was talking about the church. They were doing everything in disorder. The women were speaking out loud, asking questions why the message was going on. And he had to correct them because they didn't understand what was going on. So let's just, um, I, I did some research on this, so let's, let's go there, okay? All right. Christians do not agree about the types of work, okay, that it is right for women to do in their churches, okay? So there have been many arguments about the meaning of these verses, okay? However, Paul's subject in these verses was not the proper work for women, okay? Elsewhere, he did encourage women to work for God. 1 Timothy 5, 9 and 10, he encouraged them. Titus 2, 3 and 5. Paul also approved of a woman called Priscilla, who with her husband Aquila taught people about Christ. In Romans chapter 6, matter of fact, go to Romans chapter 16. I'm going to show you what I'm talking about here. I love this. I was looking into what I'm saying. Such a misconception of churches telling women they can't say anything or speak or, ser or serve or anything. It's like, that is not biblical. It is a misconception and it's taken out of context. And people beat people up and beat the women up in church telling them they can't say anything. Wrong. Man, I love the women in this church, by the way. I'm telling you. They're right on it. They're always, they're always, they're always around. Look, they were always around Jesus. They were always around Paul. They were helping him all the way through his ministry. Matter of fact, he had more problems with the men than he did with the women. The women were very kind and submissive and helpful. The men were getting proud and arrogant and disunitized. Now look what it says in verse 1. I commend you. Look at Romans 16, verse 1. I commend to our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church. Listen, she was a deacon. The Bible says deacon, and the other Bibles say servant. A servant is a deacon in the church. A deacon is a servant. Phoebe was a deacon in the church. Okay, there was prophetesses in the Old Testament too. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. I should get it from the girls anyway. <laughs> Because the men always try to usurp their authority over women in church. It's wrong. Look, a deacon in the church in Chantria welcomed her in the Lord as one who was worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs. For she has been helpful to many and especially to me. 
Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. What is a co-worker? Somebody that works alongside of you. See, they were co-workers along with Paul. And it was, she was a woman, a woman. In fact, listen to this one. They once risked their lives for me, and I'm thankful to them. And so are all the Gentile churches. Also give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. They were meeting in their house, in the churches. Greet my dear friend Epinetus. He was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. Give my greetings to Mary, who has worked so hard for your benefit. Hello? Women work in the church. They work through it. It was the church meeting, he told them to be silent, because they were speaking out while they were preaching, asking questions when they should have asked the questions at home. Save them for later. They were speaking out loud, and I'm going to explain. Here, however, in 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35, Paul's subject is how people should behave at church meetings. When some someone is speaking at a meeting, the other people should be quiet. They should not interrupt the speaker with questions. They should not have conversations during the meeting. Paul refers especially to the woman here. In ancient Christian churches, the men and women sat separately. Okay, In Corinth, there were particular problems in the woman's section of the church. The women were uncovering their heads in a manner that offended people in 11, 3 to 16. So Paul had to warn them in particular about their behavior. In 1 Corinthians 14, 30, Paul mentions the law that is God's law. His reference seems to be Genesis 3, 16. That verse teaches that a woman should respect her husband. It is right that a husband and wife should often discuss such subjects as God, the Bible, and religion. At church, we must listen carefully so we can learn. At home, we should ask questions so we can learn even more. Amen? They were asking questions while the message was going out. And they were causing disorder. In discord in the church. So we had to tell them, look, you can't talk during the church meeting. When you go home, ask the questions to you. They were, they were shouting out loud. They were causing disruption in the church. He didn't tell them they couldn't serve in the church or pray. Get it? It's such a misconception. Women are much needed in the church. My goodness. Oh, I love the, the women in this church. Oh, my goodness. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you. I want to tell you thank you. We respect you. And let me tell you something. God put you there as our helpmates. It says it in the Bible. Not to hinder us, to help us. And that's what you do. If you let, if you let them, they will. Amen? You're welcome. It's the truth. I'm not done with it yet either. I'm not done with this because it's important that we understand these things. I'm going to go back and read a little bit more on this. Does this mean that women should not speak in church service today? Listen, it is clear from 11.5 that women prayed and prophesied in public worship. Okay, It is also clear in chapters 12 and 14 that women are given spiritual gifts and are encouraged to exercise them in the body of Christ. You don't, you don't get a spiritual gift to exercise on yourself. The spiritual gifts that they're given are the, uh, for the body of Christ inside the church. How could you say they shouldn't be talking in church? 
It's so wrong. Let me tell you something. Women have much to contribute and can participate in worship services. In the Corinthian culture, women were not allowed to confront men in public. That was the thing. Apparently, some of the women who had become Christians thought that their Christian freedom gave them the right to question the men in public worship. This was causing division in the church. In addition, women of that day did not receive formal religious education as did the men. Women may have been raising questions in the worship services that could have been answered at home without disrupting the services. Paul was asking the women not to flaunt their Christian freedom during worship. The purpose of Paul's words was to promote unity, not to teach about woman's role in the church. That's what he was in there. That's what it was all about. Can I get an amen for that? We're all equal in God's eyes. Paul also stated that God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Note that the the preferred alternative to disorder is peace. Too often in resisting disorder, Christians have opted for rigid, predictable, and unvarying forms of worship in which God's presence is as difficult to find as in disorderly gatherings. Okay? When there is chaos, the church is not allowing God to work among believers as he would like. Amen? Worship that is done properly and in order should not, however, rule out God's creativity, joy, and unpredictability. Do your part to have worship be a joyful, peaceful, winsome experience that draws people into it. Amen? Amen. When we come to church, we want to be an attraction to other people. They want to come. To make them want to come. Not sit there with a lemon face and miserable. To be happy, joyous, and free in Christ. Amen? Amen? Not to have disorder and discord and bring disunity into the body. No, we're unity in Christ. The things that ties us together is the blood of Jesus. All these side issues that Christians fight over. It's not right. And it's, the unbelieving world sees it and says, what's wrong with these people? They say they believe in one thing and they fight over it. Saying this is what it means. No, that's what it means. No, that's what No, it's what the Bible says. It's what the Bible says. We all need each other. One body, many parts. And it doesn't say just male parts. It's awful. No, it's awful what they do in the churches. They stifle the women. And what does that cause? The women don't want nothing to do with church anymore. Because they get stifled. They say, oh, so I don't want any of it. What, 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 what is this? This chauvinism in church. They don't want any part of that. They get enough of that in the world. They don't need that in church. They need unity. And to understand that they're needed and helpful here. And wanted here eagerly. Believe me, this ministry couldn't do without you. I'll tell you right now. It couldn't. One body. We all need each other. Amen? And let me tell you something. The women jump at everything. Whatever they can do, they're always willing to help. It's hard to get the guys off the chairs. <laughs> the women are right on it. You should think about it, men. I can learn something from these women. I'm serious. The arrogance from it. For men. It's mostly, I think, because they're jealous. 
They just don't want to admit it. Let me tell you something. My wife, she's like, wow, I can learn a lot from her. She's always on it. She keeps the glue. She keeps it all together. If I was to say you can't come and say nothing here, then we might as well just close. And the other women, all he is, all he is, and all the men too. One body, many parts. Can we get that through our heads here? Everybody is equal in this body. Everybody. And just as important as the next. Men and women alike. And there are women deacons. Okay, they serve the church. There's not woman pastors, but there's woman servants in the church. Okay, can I get an amen for that? Understand that, because there's women that serve in this church. And they do an awesome job, and they're faithful to what they do. And I'm definitely not going to stifle that. And again, I'm going to say thank you to you. Because I love you, I do. My wife will tell you how highly I think of the women here. Amen? You're welcome. So now I can stay off the couch tonight. I'm in. Like they say, a happy wife is a happy life. <laughs> it's really, and listen, I, I come to learn as being, you know, it's really not that hard to make them happy. All they want you to do is pay attention to them, listen to what they have to say, and let their input be of value to you. That's all. They don't ask for much, and they'll do anything for you. But when you be quiet and don't pay attention to them and don't give them the time, oh boy, we don't want that. Trust me. Because they have value. They have awesome, awesome input for the body of Christ. All right. Now that we got that done, we're going to move on to chapter 15, okay? So just so you know, women serve in the church. And let me tell you something. Women serve in this church faithfully. And they will always serve in this church faithfully. And I will always honor you for doing so. And I will honor the men also. Don't forget. I didn't forget you guys, okay? So don't feel left out. Your time is coming. <laughs> but it's not this one. It ain't now. We'll catch you. We'll catch you somewhere else in the Bible. How's that? <laughs> we should be able to enjoy coming. To, we should be able to enjoy learning about God. Not always have to be so rigid and stiff and so miserable in church. Oh my goodness! It's like that in the world. We don't need that in the body. We need joy and peace and comfort in order with love for everybody, motivated by love, love of God. Love of self and love of others. That's the whole Bible, my friends. Really, that's what, that's what we're learning how to do. You notice he threw 1 Corinthians 13 right in the middle of all that prophecy and tongue stuff. Just to let you know, that's not as important as loving people. He had to put that in the middle because they were going crazy. Doing all kinds of nutty things, the Corinthians. All right. Thank you, Jesus. All right. God is good, right? I'm not going to skip around the Bible, okay? We need to read the whole thing. 
And we can learn a lot from the Corinthians. What to do and what not to do. Okay? All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Instruction on the resurrection. Now, when we did the message on the resurrection, didn't I tell you your homework to read 1 Corinthians 15? Well, I hope some of you did, because we're going to go over it now. If you didn't, you're going to get a chance to hear it now. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message. Yeah. Listen, it says that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. <laughs> oh, he's strong what he says. So I passed on to you what was most important, what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. Just as the scriptures said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter or Cephas and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Well, let me just back up a little bit, okay? Most churches contain people in it, okay, who do not yet believe. You see, it's not just the one. Look, we come to believe. First you get the information, you think about it, and then you come to believe it. It's not an instant thing because it, we don't even know what we're believing in yet. It takes time to become a believer. Most churches contain people who do not yet believe. Some are moving in the direction of belief, and others are simply pretending, okay? <laughs> Impostors, however, are not to be removed. Okay, see Matthew 13, 28 and 29. For that is the Lord's work alone. The good news about Jesus Christ will save us if we continue to believe it and faithfully follow it. The central theme of the good news is given in these verses. A key text for the defense of Christianity. Okay, the three most important points are Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. Without the truth of this message, Christ's death was worthless, and those who believe in him are still in their sins and without hope. However, Christ, as the sinless Son of God, took the punishment of sin so that those who believe can have their sins removed. The scriptures refer to the Old Testament prophecies, such as Psalm 16:8. In Isaiah 53, 5, 6, Christ's death on the cross was no accident or afterthought. It had been part of God's plan from all eternity in order to bring about the salvation of all who believe. He was buried. The fact of Christ's death is revealed in the fact of his burial. Okay? Many have tried to discount this, the actual death of Christ, but Jesus did in fact die and was buried in a tomb. He rose from the dead on the third day. As the scriptures said, Christ was raised permanently forever. His father raised him from the dead on the third day as noted in the Gospels, Friday afternoon to Sunday morning, three days in Jewish reckoning of time. This also occurred as the scriptures said, Jesus quoted 
the prophet Jonah in Matthew 12:40, and see Jonah 1:17 to show the connection to three days as prophesied in the Old Testament. Psalm 16:8 to 11, and Psalm 1:10 also foretell the resurrection of the Messiah. Okay, so he was making that fact straight. Now, there's people that walk in the church and they say, well, I'm making a profession of faith. No, they really don't believe it until they hear the facts about it. Then they come to the conclusion of a belief. And then there's people in the church that are just imposters. And they're from the devil. And they sit inside the church and say, the wheat and the weeds are going to grow together. Okay? So don't think that everyone that sits in church is a true believer. That is not true. The Bible warns us about that. You will know my people by their fruit. By their actions, by the way they live, you will know my people. Amen. Don't mistake the facts of the Bible. The evidence of a believer is a transformed life. Okay? The evidence of the Holy Spirit working in a believer is a desire to want to read God's Word, a desire to learn the Bible, a desire to serve Him. That's what it is. It's not speaking in the language of theology. It's a, it's a changed desire and a changed heart. You want to learn about God. You can't wait to come to church. You love the Lord and you do anything for Him. You put Him before you. And that takes time. But He's working in the believer's heart. That's the evidence. Do we fail? Yes, we do. But something happened to us. We are transformed. We're not no longer thinking of ourselves and our ways. And people can sit in church saying they're believers in there. Really not. I don't know that, and I'm not going to look into it. All I have to know is my own heart, which is hard enough to take care of on its own. <laughs> Let the Holy Spirit do the rest. You can sit there all you want and fool me, but you ain't fooling God. He knows your heart. So you should ask yourself, do I really believe what I'm coming here for? You can say, is my life showing it? Am I proclaiming what I believe? Is it showing up in my life somewhere? Or am I just making this claim and I don't even know what I believe? Am I just make-believe? How about an amen for that? Yeah. All right. So that's what he was talking about in Corinth. Okay, now, let's keep reading. He said, then he was, verse 7, then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, Paul, he's like, he was comical, like I was born at the wrong time, I also saw him. <laughs> no, he was born at an awesome time. Let me tell you something. For I am the least of all the apostles. Listen to Paul. He penned in 13 of these epistles, and he said he was the least of all the apostles. Why? Why did he say that? Look what he said. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. And I'm saying to myself, I'm not even worthy of salvation the way I treated God or what I thought of Him before. How about you? Let me tell you something. This Bible is designed to humble you, not make you proud. If you're becoming proud, you are not reading the Bible properly. And you're not letting the Spirit come into your life. The spirit and pride are opposite of each other. The spirit is giving. The pride is wanting. Wanting recognition for what I do. I'm smart. 
I'm smarter than the other guys. I've been, I've been a Christian for a long time. I know more than they do. The height of arrogance. That You know what the Bible says? You don't know anything if you say that. You really don't know anything if you can claim that. So when I hear people say that, and then I see the way they live, I say, they don't know anything. They may have a lot of knowledge, but they have no spirituality whatsoever. They got a lot of head knowledge, but nothing in their heart from God. Nothing. Empty. Empty. You know what he said? You have to forget all about that, Paul said. If you want to find Jesus, you forget, you got to forget the way the world system is. And you got to learn my system, the word system. You got to become humble and teachable like a little kid. Like a baby. And a lot of people have been beat up by churches, and they said, you know what? I'm just going to be like a kid again and just absorb this. It's like it's fresh. Because the Bible teaches us to become like Jesus. And if you become like Jesus, he was washing their feet. God himself, okay, was washing people's feet. Okay, so if you want to think that you're close to Jesus, you know how you can tell? How well you serve your brothers and sisters. Not how well you get served. That's how you know you're maturing in Christ. Amen? It's more about him than you. And them. It's always God first, people others, which joy, Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. If you can't put yourself last, don't tell me you're a mature Christian. No, your carnal is the day is long. All you have is knowledge, no spirit. Now look what it says, after the way I, but whatever I am now, look what he's saying. It's all because God poured out his special favor on me, and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. So it makes no difference whether I preach or they preach. See, it doesn't matter who preaches, it's the word that gives the power. Look, or they preach, for we all preach the same message you have already believed. See, the power isn't in the people, the power is in the word. Too many times, they put people on pedestals. Oh, do you see the way he preaches the Bible? No, it's the Bible that has the power, not the preacher. Don't ever exalt the preacher. Yeah, I even get funny when people come to me. I'm like, no, it's really not me. I, thank you, but really, it's him. Me, me I'm, I'm a scoundrel. This is Jesus. This is all Jesus. This is his work, not mine. All right. Paul wrote, let me just say this, Paul wrote of working harder than other apostles. This was not an arrogant boast, because he knew that his power came from God, and that it really didn't matter who worked hardest. Because of his prominent position as a Pharisee, Paul's conversion made him the object of even greater persecution than the other apostles. Thus, he had to work harder to preach the same message, amen? Because he got converted as a Pharisee. So we don't get it mixed up. Paul was not arrogant. Okay. Now look at verse 12. Is everybody with me so far? Oh, this is awesome, isn't it? The Bible is awesome when it's purity. It really is. It's really not that hard to understand. You see, if you think you know a lot, then you really ain't going to get this. You want higher knowledge. Instead of the hot knowledge of God. It's so simple, like a kid. Let me tell you this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? 
For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. And your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. You see, now a lot of people believe in Jesus, right? But do they believe that he got raised from the dead? That's another question. That's another condition. That he got rose from the dead. And some don't believe he got rose from the dead. The Sadducees didn't believe there was a resurrection. He was defending it. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope is in Christ Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Amen? But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Amen is right. Now let me just, why Paul had to do that, okay? I'm going to say why. Most Greeks did not believe that people's bodies would be resurrected. That's why he's saying, he was talking in Corinth, after death. They saw the afterlife as something that happened only to the soul, okay? According to Greece philosophers, the soul was the real person imprisoned in a physical body. In that death, soul was released. There was no immortality for the body, but the soul entered an eternal state. Christianity, by contrast, affirms that the body and soul will be united after resurrection. The church in Corinth was in the heart of Greek culture. Okay, Thus, many believers had a difficult time believing in a bodily resurrection. Okay, Paul wrote this part of his letter to clear up this confusion about the resurrection. You had to understand where he was preaching. Okay, we're getting an understanding of this? Okay. See? It is great. The bodily resurrection of Christ, okay, is the center of the Christian faith. Understand that. Because Christ rose from the dead as he promised... We know that what he said is true and that he is God. The resurrection affirms the truthfulness of Jesus' life and words. The resurrection confirms Jesus' unique authority to say, I am the resurrection and the life, like he said in John 11.25. Okay? Because he rose, we have certainty that our sins are forgiven. Amen. Amen. Because he rose, he lives and represents us before God. Because he rose and defeated death, we know we will also be raised. Christ's resurrection guaranteed both his promise to us and his authority to make that promise. We must take him at his word and believe. Now, why did Paul say believers are being more pitied than anyone in the world? If this life is all there is. In Paul's day, faith in Christ often brought a person persecution, okay? Ostracism from family, and in many cases, poverty. And that happens today to some of us, right? We're trusting in Jesus, and our families disassociate from us. Friends disassociate from us. We get persecuted. 
If there's not a better life to come, then we should be pitied more than anything else. That's what he's saying. And in many cases, poverty. There were few tangible benefits from being a Christian in that society. Okay? It was certainly not a step up the social or career ladder. Even today it isn't. More important, however, is the fact that if Christ had not been resurrected from the dead, Christians would not be forgiven for their sins or have any hope of eternal life. If what Christians believe is a lie, we would be pitiful because we would be going through such suffering for no purpose. Fortunately, that is not the case. <laughs> How are we doing so far, right? Am I explaining this all right to you? I love you guys, man. I did a lot of... I went, I went into this because it's important. Thank you. Thank you for being here because if I didn't have anybody, I wouldn't be able to say it to anybody. I'd be preaching to myself. Now listen what it says. All right. Then Christ has not been raised. Now look at verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sin. In that case... All who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope is in Christ is only for this life, we are more pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. You see, when he rose from the dead, we died. This is the harvest. This is a new harvest right now. He's har we're harvested. Look, of all who have died, we died to what? We died to our old life. We have a new life in Christ now. If you're still in the old life, you don't realize that you've been forgiven. There's so many imposters in church, and I can tell, I can smell them a mile away, but you know what? That's in God's hands. Amen? God didn't only give me this, but I, I got street smarts too. I listen to what people say, I can tell. I can tell what's in their heart by what they're saying. So you might be able to fool a lot of people. It's going to be hard to fool me because I've been through it all. And I'm still living to tell about it. Amen? <laughs> I might not say much, but I know. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Right? We died because of Adam. When death comes through Adam, and the resurrection comes through Christ. But then look, we're already raised. See? We're already resurrected. You understand? This body's going to die. We're going to get a glory after we die the second death. We're going to get a new resurrected body. We're actually going to get a body too. Okay? Not just bodies that never sin again, that never get sick because of sin anymore. We guaranteed that. And guess what? If he comes back before we die, we get it in an instant, the Bible says. Just like that. Snapped into a new life and a new body that lives forever. Spiritual body. You'll be able to walk through that wall and go have lunch. <laughs> and that's the truth of the Bible. It's the truth of the Bible. Hallelujah. Right? I want to I want to be alive when that happens. I want to see him coming. I want to go with him, man. I want to take off. Amen. But it's a win-win anyway. If I go to sleep in the ground, I'm going to wake up new. doesn't matter when or how long it's going to take. It's going to happen. <laughs> I'm excited. I get excited when I read this one. I said, this, this is an awesome verse, especially for Christians. Now look, it says, Christ was raised the first, first 23, but there is an order to this resurrection. Oh, no, let me go back. 
So you see, just as death came in the world through a man, verse 21, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. You see it? But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come. Then he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For the scriptures say, God has put all things under his authority. Of course, when it says all things are under his authority, that does not include God himself, who gave Christ his authority. Then, when all things are under his authority, the Son will put himself under God's authority, so that God, who gave his Son authority over all things, will be utterly supreme over everything everywhere. Amen? We're going to be ruling and reigning with Christ. And if the dead will not be raised, what point is there in people being baptized for those who are dead? Why, why do it unless the dead will someday rise again? And why should we ourselves risk our life hour by hour? For I swear, dear brothers and sisters, that I face death daily. This is as certain as my pride in what Christ Jesus our Lord has done in you. And what value was there in fighting wild beasts, those people of Ephesus, if there will be no resurrection from the dead? And if there is no resurrection, let's feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. Don't be fooled by those who say such things. For bad company corrupts good character. Let me tell you something. There's Christians that are bad company, and they corrupt good godly character. Let me tell you something. You, that's how you know people by their fruit. Let me tell you something. There's Christians that are living for the devil. You've got to get away from them. Let me tell you something. The Bible is clear on that. Clear on that. So you tell yourself where I'm going and what I do when I'm not in church. Am I bringing Jesus with me? Because if you're bringing Jesus with you, then you can bring your brothers and sisters too. That's how you know. But if you're going to leave Jesus at home, guess what? Leave your brothers and sisters home too. Don't drag them into your sins. Look what it says. Think carefully about what is right and stop sinning, he's telling them. For to your shame, I say that some of you don't know God at all. He said their behavior was shaming them. That You don't even know God the way you're acting and living. Liars. He was calling them liars. How are we getting so far with this, all right? Oh, there's more. The resurrection body. And I'm going to expand on that too. As a matter of fact, before we go to the resurrection body, let me expand on what I just talked about. Okay. Although God the Father and the Son are equal, each has a special work to do in an area of sovereign control. 1528. Christ is not inferior to the Father, but his work is to defeat all evil on earth. Okay, first he defeated sin and death on the cross, and in the final days he will defeat Satan and all evil. Amen. World events may seem out of control and justice may seem scarce, but God is in control. Amen. 
allowing evil to remain for a time until he sends Jesus to earth again. Then Christ will present to God a perfect new world. Amen. Yeah, you got that right. Amen to that. That is worth the hand clap. Thank you, Jesus. Some believers were baptized on behalf of others who had died unbaptized. Nothing more is known about this practice, but it obviously affirms a belief in resurrection. Paul is not promoting baptism for the dead. He is illustrating his argument that the resurrection is a reality. If death ends at all, enjoying the moment will be all that matters. But Christians know that life continues beyond the grave and that our life on earth is only a preparation for our life that will never end. Amen. What you do today matters for eternity, believer. In light of eternity, sin is a foolish gamble. Your belief in the resurrection will affect your view of the future. It also ought to affect how you live today. How's that? I face that daily, he said, refers to the dangers Paul encountered daily. The wild beasts in Ephesus referred to the savage opposition he had faced there. Listen, now, keeping company with those who deny the resurrection can corrupt good Christian character. Don't let your relationship with unbelievers lead you away from Christ or cause your faith to waver. Now, it's not just unbelievers, it's believers too. If you go back and read 1 Corinthians 6, he says, I'm not warning you to stay away from unbelievers who do, this, do these things. He said, don't associate with believers who do these things. Don't even eat with them. They're living a sinful life. Don't even associate with them. He says, it isn't my job to judge the, the world. He says, but it is your job to judge those who are sinning in the church. That's what's wrong with churches today. No church discipline. Not putting people out for their sinful actions and letting them spread like cancer in the body. Just to get the numbers. It ain't going to happen here. I see something that's off. I'm going after it. I'll tell you right now. Because I'm going to protect you with my life. You're welcome. Because that's what God called me to do. A shepherd watches over the flock with his life. He lays his life down for the sheep. And he makes sure that everything's good. All right, we're going to have to stop there. But stay tuned for next week when we have a continuing saga of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Amen? All right, thank you. Brittany's going to come up and with and Laurie are going to sing this awesome victory song. Yeah, you do. Jesus, we lift up your name. Yeah. You are king. Stand and worship the Lord. Hail Jesus, you're my king. Hail Jesus, you're my king. Your life frees me to sing. Your life frees me to sing. I will praise you all my days. I will praise you all my days. Perfect in all your ways.